Welcome everyone to the Atomic Cinema Experiment. I am Peter and joining me as always is Tara. Greetings citizens. And don't let the Christmas tree behind Tara fool you. We are not here for a cheery festive time on this episode <laughs> of our science fiction movie podcast. We are here today to talk about Possessor, which is the film by Brandon Cronenberg, not to be confused with his father, David Cronenberg, um, but it is very much a Cronenbergian film of sorts, and we'll get into just how much that means and what exactly that means uh, when we get into it here. But we'll start spoiler-free, of course, as we always do. We'll give you a warning before we get the spoilers. The basic premise of Possessor is that uh, the main character is essentially... Uh, an assassin who is implanted in, into other people's bodies and takes over their bodies and uses them to very publicly kill someone so that there's like a oh, so there's a culprit uh there's no like you know trail to follow for who actually committed the crime or even suspect that there is anyone else involved in the crime and it's this shady organization that does this behind the scenes for presumably very rich clients who want someone killed and I'll just leave it there. That's the, that's the basic setup. It follows this character doing one of her jobs, uh, for the most part. But uh, there you go. So, uh, for, for, before I ask if you like it or not, I, I want to check something here because I watched the uncut version of Possessor, and it came up at the start. I actually said the title was Possessor Uncut. I'm curious. Did you watch that version too? I did. Okay, good. Well, I don't know. I was kind of hoping you you hadn't because I was going to ask something. <laughs> I was curious about some things that may or may not have been in the, the cut version. Um, I'll just say this. There was a lot more erect penis in this movie than I was expecting when I went into it. And I, I was like... I got just the right amount that I was expecting. That, oh, you were expecting the right Because <laughs> I, was, I was wondering, is that what was cut? Or is it something else? Was it some of the violence that was trimmed down? Or or, or what? It, I wasn't sure. But uh, I guess it'll be a mystery uh, mm. until someone tells us in the comments what, what the differences are. But uh, the reason why I watched this because I actually looked it up. I, I said, okay, which one should I... Because I, I had the option of either. I was like, okay, which one should I watch? And Brandon Cronenberg has said, you know, the uncut one's his preferred version. It's the one that he intended and uh, it's the one he recommends being watched. So I was like, okay, fine. I just clicked on the first one that came up. And yes. <laughs> it was the uncut version. Yes. Uh, and it is genuinely... Like, cause sometimes you see the word uncut and it's like, oh, there's like five minutes of deleted scenes that aren't actually any more violent or sexy or anything like that. It's just they call it uncut because technically it's not rated, so they call it unrated or the, the uncensored <laughs> version. Um, this movie is a hard... Well, and in the UK system, it'd be an 18. It's a hard 18. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't know if this would even get an R rating. This might be like a hard NC-17, <laughs> honestly. I mean, I, yeah, I, it's pretty bloody. A lot of blood. It's, it's both violent. It has really, I wouldn't say extreme nudity, but like very, I mean, it's proper uh, full frontal. Pretty strong, yeah. yeah. You know, it's, it's not quite porn, but it's like almost there. Like it's, it's everything but porn, basically. Yeah. Um. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess what we're saying is here, don't show it to your 12-year-old, okay? I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of movies that, you know, a lot of R-rated movies that I'm sure we all watched as, you know, kids 10 to 12 years old. There's a lot of stuff that I would show a 12-year-old that isn't technically meant for a 12-year-old. This is actually something you should not be showing at a 12-year-old. This is something you wait until they're of age. <laughs> I mean, it's still much easier to watch than, like, uh, High Life was. Uh... <laughs> 
Is that more or less traumatic? I don't know. Yeah. I, I would put a highlight as um, slightly above. This is more violent than that, though. I feel like mixing the sex well, with the violence sure. makes it a bit... Makes it yeah, a bit I more... would say the, the sex part of it was worse than highlight. Sure, sure. Um, the sexual content. <laughs> the sexual content. Well, you mean that contraption in the room? The that, the, the house, the <laughs> contraption? <laughs> and the fact that it kind of like sort of like washed itself and it expunged all the juices out of a vent. <laughs> the milk. <laughs> well, some of it was milk. I mean, not all the milk. Anyway, uh, we're starting off in a very uh, highbrow place here, clearly. Uh, so, Tara, what did you think? With all that in mind, what did you think of Possessor? I really enjoyed it. Okay. Um, I also thought it was a very strong film. It, it's, I feel like I have to really sit and think about it and let it sit with me to see how much I actually like it. But if nothing else, I'll say that the direction is super confident. And mm-hmm. while there's definitely things you can say, oh, I can kind of see how this is Cronenberg's kid who directed this. I also think it feels different to David Cronenberg, though. It doesn't just feel like a, it doesn't feel like a David Cronenberg movie. It feels like... no. It has like Something a else. lot of the coloring of like a, uh, like a Fincher movie. Yeah, yeah. It, the direction feels a lot more like David Cronenberg. I, see, that's the thing. I can't just say Cronenberg anymore. I know I have to specify <laughs> which one. Uh, David Cronenberg. Cronenberg Senior. Cronenberg Senior. He has a, a, a fairly simple or not simple a fairly distinctive style as much as i say it's simple to see when it's one of his movies i think this doesn't feel like one of his this feels more like other i don't have a specific example but it feels more like a modern indie director who has Mm -hmm. some more confident but older sensibilities also mixed in there i guess is what i'd say Um, i wonder if his like if the grossness in this movie is like required because he has the Cronenberg name and people expect it of him, or if it's because he grew up the son of David Cronenberg and it's just desensitized and like this is just what violence is. It should be in the film. It's a violent movie. I read, I think this was him in an interview who was talking about uh, violence in movies and how. You know, if you're watching something that's like a PG-13 and then there's like tons of people getting killed because, you know, it's like a gunfight or something or something where there's a lot of fodder happening. Yeah, but there's uh, no he, blood or anything. Yeah, he said that that kind of betrays what violence is and it's kind of like almost glamorizing it because it's not really acknowledging the actual murder and death that's happening. So if you're going to do violence, you should do it as dark and as brutal. And I mean, I'm paraphrasing here, but uh, it, it should you should feel the horror of it. Uh, this you know, is not a glorification of violence. It's a very disturbing, realistic, well, maybe it's slightly, like, there's a lot of blood, so maybe it's slightly more it's a, it's a little grotesque than realistic, yeah. but... It's a little hyper-real, but it's not exactly this, but you saying that makes me think of this as... Just in terms of how disturbing it is and how it treats the violence, it's kind of like a weird sci-fi version of Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer in some ways. Um, and that it's, I've not seen that. <laughs> It's a very disturbing film. It's it's a well made movie for what it is, but it's it's meant to feel grimy. It's meant to feel like you're in the mind oh, of an actual psychopath. Yeah. Uh, this obviously the character doesn't start quite in that place, but it is a very dark tale of someone's relationship to violence and murder 
And I mean, right from the opening, because there's a little, it's, it does that thing at the start where the opening prologue scene is at the end of a previous mission to give us like a taste of what this is and what what, what happens. Mm-hmm. And it's her, you know, in, you know, being inside this woman's body and using this this woman who works as a like a like a waitress at a fancy club, like a sort of you know a private club, uh, to murder someone. And one of the key points of the scene is that she has a gun in her bag. At the end of the scene, she pulls out this gun. Uh, to kill herself and she says you know pull me out to whoever's listening before she kills herself and all i could think was but but you had a gun on you why did you just stab him like 50 times but as yeah. addressed it's brought up in the following scenes like you know why did you make that choice we gave you a gun to do the job why 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 did you do it as brutally and balanced so that sets up the, the questions of like, okay what is this woman's relationship with violence and does mm-hmm. she have a desire a thirst for murder that has been associated by this job that she's doing uh, which is i mean don't get me wrong there's nothing that's not morally wrong about this job it's assassinations uh you know by a shady company for for rich people it's this horrible yeah you're taking the lives of also innocent people in order to kill someone else because the job always ends in suicide yeah yeah so yeah um so at the very least there's always one innocent person killed if, even if mm-hmm. i mean that's assuming that the rich person they're killing isn't technically also innocent which they might be. Maybe, you know? yeah, yeah. It's just a matter of money. Yeah. So, I mean, even then, it's already not morally good. It's already something you can't sympathize with. But then, but the, you add on to that. It's like, okay, if it was this cold, calculated killer who came in, did it as quickly as possible, efficiently as possible. Okay, it's an assassin in a, a spy movie, whatever. But when you start, like, wanting to unleash your rage and stab someone 50 times... And I'm, I'm exaggerating the number a little bit, but it felt like a lot. Like, it was a lot mm-hmm. of stabbing. It was way more than that That was necessary. Like, it was a very brutal kill for the sake of being as brutal as possible. Yeah. And it's not a lot. It's not the most brutal in the movie either. It, it, no. it, does, it tops it later on. Uh, but it, it definitely sets you off in this dark psyche that we're dealing with here and the, the character that is you know because she seems normal and i mean not normal but she she has like a husband and child she we see her kind of try to sort of like fit back into her normal life mm-hmm. um but the tone and the quiet and the direction it's, it's, it's not a movie that over explains things if anything it really leaves a lot open to the imagination yeah i kind of like that about it though no, no I, I do too for the most part yeah uh you know we don't really hear a lot about this company and what they're doing we don't really know a lot because even like the uh sort of the main character the second main character who's like the the the, the guy she takes over played by uh, christopher abbott and uh, that's like, the main job she gets after the prologue you know portion of the film like his job like i don't really understand what the company sean bean runs does or like i got that he was like spying on people through their webcams but he was just looking at what curtains they had <laughs> it was really weird. i think it was for advertising yeah reasons. you know how like uh you look at something and then, or you say something and your phone yeah. hears it and it all of a sudden it's suggesting that thing for you to buy. I think it, they just like spy into people's webcams or videos that they post or save on their phones or whatever. And like looks at things like he's in charge of looking at curtains for the day. So we're just going to see what type of curtains they have. Or it's either some sort of data gathering. Yeah. I mean, I, or I, I, I go from advertising. Con- I got from context what his what his particular job was, but I never really quite understood because it was like, oh, this is a low, this is one of the grunt jobs. That's like that's a point that's made repeatedly. 
And I was like, okay, so what is what is the overall company doing? Is, is a, what's the what's the what's the upper levels jobs? Mm-hmm. What are they doing exactly? I, but it never goes into it. It never really quite goes into it any more than that. What, mm-hmm. Which again is is fine. Uh, it, it, it's it's not interested in doing that. It's interested in the main character, her arc, and everything else. We get little snippets. We get contextual things. The direction tells us the world that she's living in. Although. I think it's maybe fair to question: Is this the world she's living in, or is this just because it's from her perspective? And this, this, like almost empty, like anger we feel the whole time, and like this desolate mood is coming more from her rather than the world that's surrounding her. Uh, is it all coming from her perspective? Uh, I mean, maybe. Like we know the company that she works for is obviously evil. Not mm. just that, but the reason they're taking this this main job is because they want. It's not so much that they they want to get paid by the guy who wants the murder to happen, but they want to have that as like leverage over him. So basically, they own the company because they can set him up for the or they can blackmail him essentially. Yeah, uh, so we never meet either. You know, there's a, there's a lot of elements to this they never feel mm-hmm. the need to actually go into, um, and. That, that, that that's totally fine um i mean they could have expanded the world a bit more if they wanted to i think there's enough in there to make you like all right i get i have what i need to know and now i can just follow this main character horrible horrible person <laughs> yeah uh so i i mean you know the performances here are very important um you know we have andrea riseborough who's playing Tasia, who is the the you know the assassin who sort of you know hooks in to it's, it's it's almost like a matrix s connection thing she gets hooked up to mm-hmm. um and there's her obviously she kind of disappears from the movie like in a, in a big way because once she becomes the guy it's like well now it's the guy who's doing most of the acting uh, occasionally there is like little snippets of her like sort of inside his head or and i say inside his head it's really a bit more obscure than that it's more like mm-hmm. just like a visual representation of like how she's thinking inside his head rather than like when there's a when she actually makes the sort of the journey to his head there's kind of this visual like really surreal representation of how that happens and i don't think i didn't for a second take any of that as oh this is what's going on inside the technology or this is what actually happens in their heads this is it's purely just a representation of the yeah. the weird way the mind is making it work rather than yeah. anything else. i really liked it the visual actually for all the, I, all of them like all of the little snippets of flashes of her and him like melded together but like trying to tear apart mm. and that's where you get a, a lot of like the Cronenberg <laughs> you know name coming up in some of those things like they don't they don't look um they don't particularly look gory but they're very unsettling to look at but it, it's a good representation of what's happening uh, yeah that's that yeah that is probably the most Cronenberg thing of the whole movie is is what you described there, that unsettling looking thing mm-hmm. that's not necessarily gory. It's just unsettling. <laughs> um, but it's a visual thing. Because you can, you can have things that are unsettling that aren't visual. But this is distinctly, that's what Cronenberg did though. Cronenberg would do visual things that are unsettling <laughs> and just <laughs> what they are. Uh, without, I mean, it would still do gore occasionally, but they wouldn't necessarily have to, you know, go to that every time. You wouldn't have to go to that well every time. Um, uh, we'll save some of obviously what the visuals are for spoilers. We'll we'll talk about that a bit more, a bit more detail. Um, you know, because in, in a lot of ways, it's it's kind of like a 
like a spy movie or a heist movie in the sense that when, you know once she becomes the guy it's not just that she commits the crime immediately she has to do a little bit of work in advance she has to do a little bit of like mm-hmm. trying to like pretend to be him uh, she's an actress basically yeah you can yeah kind of she has to yeah you know act as if she's him and then ultimately get to a point where she has it you know because because in this particular case the main plot of the movie she has to kill multiple people as part of the job so she has to sort of get them together in the in the same mm-hmm. place and so there's a little bit of build up to it there's a little bit of discovering who this guy's life is and who the people in his life are and things like that um but the performances are important so you have her who is very disconnected very uh cold and uh, i mean i think nothing exemplifies that more than there's a sex scene with her husband like early on in the movie where she just looks like she's thrilled the entire time uh during this she's just staring off into the distance just this cold blank stare like a sociopath um the whole time yeah and then i think you also have abbott who may actually be even more impressive of the two one because mm-hmm. he has to actually channel her right pretending to be him which is an interesting little mix of a performance in and of itself yeah but you also have just the thing that impressed was a bit of body language that really impressed me is that when he first wakes up but it's her right it's when she wakes up in his body and just the way he walks around for that first scene as he's walking around getting used to this body walking it just mm-hmm. it felt a little bit unnatural there's just there's a little bit of a, like a weird it was like shorter steps than people would mm-hmm. normally take and just the, the swagger was just this little controlled swagger that was just a little bit i thought different. he was i actually thought he was very good and there yeah. are you know there are scenes where he's playing uh his character and then there are scenes where he's playing his character who's being controlled by another character that we already have established so it's a very challenging role i think and i i was never unsure of who was in control of his mind i think uh i would have to assume that both actors would would have worked together a lot to create this like they'd have probably done mm-hmm. a lot of like brainstorming together and a lot of like well yeah there are scenes together. where they have overlapping dialogue and it like matches up perfectly mm-hmm. just the tone and the cadence and everything is yeah. perfectly synced up it's, it's a very unique thing uh that, uh that happens from time to time given and usually in sci-fi movies you know or maybe horror movies occasionally where you'll have this thing where two characters or two actors have to portray the same character or different versions of the same character and mm-hmm. uh at least an interesting thing whenever two actors essentially have to like get together and like make the same role work with each other and like mm-hmm. how do you do that because i think it's a little bit different when like seeing like a tv show where you've got someone playing a role for like five years and then mm-hmm. they do a body swap episode so it's like okay the other actor has to pretend to just do what they've been doing for five years this is a case where both came in day one the script said you're both this character you both have to make this work from scratch so i think yeah. that's, that's an interesting process to kind of and see how that plays out on the screen so uh, performance is really good uh like i say it does get very violent in parts there's a couple of really brutal kills um which we'll get into in spoilers uh and we did warn you about the, the extremely graphic and sexual content of the movie um and the sexual content does have a purpose because i think a lot of like, do. because you know if, if if she is like if she has this draw if she has this kind of like obsession and like uh with violence and murder it's not much of a stretch to then extrapolate that into a sexual desire of some kind 
And I think the fact that we see her in a sex scene with her husband and she looks bored out of her mind. And then you see her in a sex scene where she's in someone else's body. And all of a sudden, she looks like she's having the weirdest, most wonderful... Well, I say wonderful. She doesn't look like she's happy, but she does look very intense. It doesn't, you know, she doesn't look bored. She looks like she's very into it. But yeah, that's something else we'll talk about in, uh, in spoilers. So um, we're probably about ready to jump into that stuff then so we can stop dancing around things. Um, but it is just, I guess the final point I'd make in spoiler free is that it is definitely not a happy movie. And like, even as you're watching it, I don't think there's any part of you that thinks that anything remotely happy is going to come out of this at the end. Like, there's not going to be a happy ending no matter what happens and who wins and who gets what. Like, no matter what, you're leaving this feeling miserable. It is a, mm-hmm. it is an exploration of a dark part of the human psyche. Just know that yeah. going in. Agreed. And I guess that's maybe the other thing that's very Cronenberg about it. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen Videodrome. Is it kind of like that? I know. I mean, Jennifer Jason Leigh's in it. I don't remember. It's definitely not a happy movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think there's any Cronenberg movies I can think of that are I would describe as happy. The Fly doesn't have a happy ending. That's at least happy in parts, though, when they're first falling in love. <laughs> I, 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 like, like most of his movies, I don't even think have that. <laughs> um so anyway without further ado uh we'll get into spoils and stuff but before obviously as i always do i will tell you about this month's patreon producers so thank you to tyler hess cindy palaces david short board now al tribesman christopher moy brett williams and david brown they are patreon producers for the month of december it'll be now well yeah hopefully i got the tree up it'll be december now yes um uh, so thank you to you guys uh, for being Patreon producers at a $20 tier. But you don't have to be $20 tier on Patreon, do you, Tara? Why no? If you enjoy our content, please check out our Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash TV, where you can donate as well as $1 per month, and that dollar will get you bonus episodes of The Ace. So go check that out. There's a back catalog of who we have. David Carradine. Oh, Garrett Graham, that guy. Um tim thomerson <laughs> all sorts of uh red brown classic all sorts of uh b movies and some a tier movies like time cop and judge dread so please check that out and if you donate five dollars per month you will get access to reviews early the ace you will get one day early and other shows like twilight zone you'll get a week early so please head on over there and I don't know. See, see if you like us enough for that. Thank you. <laughs> Two points. What? First of all, <laughs> first of all, in the litter box. Bad timing. Uh, first of all, <laughs> nope. I can't what? figure it out. Mirror images. <laughs> Stop the. St- it doesn't matter. No one cares if your cat's shit in the background. <laughs> first of all, um. As much as I love Time Cop, I don't know if calling it an A-tier movie is entirely accurate. Also, Did you not watch it? I did. We spoke about it for like nearly two hours. I, I, I vividly remember. Secondly, I love how, like, imagine like someone just found this review, so, especially since this is, this is a new movie, so someone may have found this. This is the first Atomic Cinema Experiment episode they've seen, is us talking about Possessor. And you, you say Garrett Graham's name as if anyone's going to know who that is. Well, he's the greatest actor of all time. <laughs> and those who watch our bonus episodes know why. 
He was in a non-bonus episode too. He was in a, a Demon Seed. That's right. That was a regular episode. So, yeah. Anyway, so yes, yes uh, full spoilers then uh, from this point forward for Possessor. You have been warned. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we mentioned the opening. I, I, the one thing I want to add on about the opening, though, is that there's a really, even just this old, the very, very start of it, where the person who's been possessed, this woman, uh, she's got like a cable hooked, hooked into the top of her head and she's like turning like a dial and mm-hmm. as she's doing it her like facial expressions are kind of changing and kind of like ticking and making these little noises and even this was already kind of like that's like and it was mostly just the sound effects the sound effects were making it feel kind of like well i mean it was it was like a needle into her head and it wasn't just like a like a patch in her head it was like a a big zit that she poked into like clearly there was a scab or something there before and like as soon as she pokes into it like blood and stuff comes out like it's already yeah. super gory yeah <laughs> but I, I, I don't think it's the gore though i think it's just the sound effects it's just the, the ticking and the yeah like it's right. just that I, I, as she's like her facial expressions are changing it just it feels because it, 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 it feels like the dial is literally like moving things in her brain like like it's a piece of machinery and changing things and mm-hmm. it just and that's unnatural because that's not how the body works at all um so i just thought right. that was immediately like okay this is setting me up here for this uh what, what this movie is going to be turns um, out she's just calibrating she's calibrating this is calibrating as we find out later emotional uh, calibration uh, or, or more specifically recalibrating i think it's more more apt yeah i don't um like I was really drawn into this scene, like from the from the beginning, um, but I I sort of hated every time they cut away in order to make a credit appear, just because I wanted to focus on the scene and every time it would be like a new name or a new production company would pop up. I sort of hated it. I w- I wish they would just like put it at the bottom of the screen like most other movies. I kind of like it. <laughs> I, oh, I I kept. It kept taking me away. Like I wanted to stay on it. I'm a fan of making the each title feel important and doing the. And I, I, I get it. Some people don't like it, but I, I'm always a fan of this. It makes the. Uh, uh, it can it can make the opening feel a bit more. I don't know, like prestigious almost. The way it's kind of drawing the scene out. Uh, Maybe if it was like, you know, old '90s Star Treks and stuff, where they would have the full orchestra playing and then the credits would go and then all of a sudden the ship would appear or a nebula or something and then they would go into the story but for the most part the um i don't know every time it cut away it was just like get back like i know it's another producer another producer another producer another producer (laughs) like i know a lot of people help make this movie (laughs) i'll share the complaint (laughs) i'll I'll just say that (laughs) I'm okay with this. Uh, I, I like treating the uh, the credits with a little bit, of, a little bit of prestige at the start. Um, I actually, I actually miss more movies having titles at the start. Like so many, just put it at the end now. Um, so you have like super long credits because you have the titles and then the full credits afterwards at the end. Uh, I mean, but... you still get the full credits here. What do you mean? You still get the full credits at the end. Oh yeah, of course you always do. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just double. I know, but, but like movies that put the titles at the end still have the full credits right after it as well. Though you, you don't escape it because you have the these at the end. Um, 
But so you just have extra long credits at the end because you have them both slapped together. That, that's that's how the Marvel movies have mid credit scenes and then post credit scenes because they they well, put one. In, they also they, have like eighteen hundred special effects artists. But they, <laughs> well, no, but they, they they always put it in between the titles and the the credits. Like they actually have a break point because they have two separate segments because that that first segment in the olden days would go at the start of the movie, and um, then there would be no credits at the end. Um. Well, no, but that that, that that's not because they had tales at the start. That's because thousands of jobs went uncredited until someone said hey we should start crediting all these other people for their work do you, do you think do you think uh, all, all of the grips got credited in movies in the 70s Which is no why they moved it to the end of the credits because nobody cares about the grips <laughs> <laughs> i appreciate all you do grips if you're watching look i i enjoy a nice opening title sequence okay i enjoy it dearly because that's been the mood for the movie I approve. That when it keeps cutting away. I, I like the cutting away. I don't. Sorry, I like it. You're not talking about it, but I can't believe we spent five minutes on the how the opening titles were presented. When, when for all intents and purposes, they're a very standard way of presenting them. It's not like it's doing something weird and <laughs> new age. It was a very intense scene. She was going to assassinate somebody. Yes, and you felt suspense, like waiting to get back to it every time it went like, to a title. Yeah, come on. All right. <laughs> we get it. Another producer. <laughs> Just put, how... put their name at the bottom of the screen while she's walking away. Uh, but that, that could feel a bit too TV. Just having it come up underneath her. I disagree. <laughs> I don't watch a lot of TV, so I disagree. <laughs> What sort of logic? Your 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 logic does not resemble Earth logic. <laughs> that is a quote from the hit television show Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Okay, uh, I'm regret laughing at it now. <laughs> no, you already laughed. You can't take it back. It's a you can't dumb take quote. It back. You can't take it back. Damn it. <laughs> so we get so we get this opening kill and we get her waking up. Uh, one notable point to make out here though is that when she puts the gun in her mouth to commit suicide. She actually can't do it. She can't pull the trigger. And she ultimately just lets the police show up, shoot her instead. Which is not how it's supposed to happen. It's still... I mean, in this particular case, it fits the crime and it, it still achieves the result of the, the person needing to be dead. Whatever. But it's not necessarily what was supposed to happen and it's kind of pointed out to her that she's supposed to do this. And she goes through this little debriefing session, which is not a debrief of like what happened on the mission. It's like a... It's almost like a, like a cognitive realignment where they show her like objects that belong to her and she has to describe what they are, where they came from and how she feels about them. But then there's also one at the end that doesn't belong to her and she has to recognize that that's not mine. Um, yeah. And it's to kind of like just, I guess, prove that her mind's all there. She came back properly and there's nothing lingering or anything like that. Yeah, I imagine if you spend a lot of your life just in the mind of somebody else that you can mix up your memories, forget who you are. Hmm. Uh, there's always the risk of that it well, seems like she has a job that might carry a lot of PTSD judging from sure. the next scenes but <laughs> when you say memories you just mean the ones that are created when she's there because there's no indication that I got from the movie that she gets the past memories of anyone she goes into I don't know because uh, you know later on in the movie he is able to recognize her memories like he knows where to go to. oh that's like, true no, you're right yeah you're right you're right yeah uh, it's ne it's never brought up from the perspective of her getting any of his though. But you're right. It, technically, yes, we do see it the other way around, where he starts to sort of recognize parts of her psyche. Um, 
Although I, I do wonder if that's because it's like memories he's accessing, or is it because that's what she's been thinking about, and it's more like a live feed of her thoughts rather than mm-hmm. like oh, just that he can look through her database and go like oh, you know, where's this file and where's that like uh, you know. Okay, well, I mean, when I say memories, I just mean like you've lived through the eyes of somebody else. So yeah, oh, no, I, I, I'm, not, yeah I'm not trying to critique from that. those experience. I'm just I'm thinking through. It. I'm thinking through based on what it gives us. Um, because it, it really presents the idea that she's thinking about her husband and her kid throughout the movie. Like, we see her, like, those quick flashes of her thinking of them, which kind of gives her these weird moments when she's in his body where she kind of, like, loses control for a second or gets, like, a headache and kind of freaks out, and she has, and that's when she has to recalibrate. So it, it kind of mm-hmm. establishes she is constantly thinking about those things. Like, uh, her home where she is supposed to live, but she moved out, um... Uh, anyway, one, of the, separated. one of the key things about the scene though that we have to mention here it's very important for the ending is that she gets to this butterfly that's in like a like a, a case and she talks about how she killed this and like stuffed it if you even stuff a butterfly I don't know, stuff in it. you just pin it yeah preserve it <laughs> she preserved the butterfly um there's nothing to stuff as a butterfly <laughs> no i mean there's cotton like behind it but then you just stick it with the pin yes yes um but the, 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 I mean, the end goal is the same as taxidermy. It's basically, you know, it's the same genre of thing. <laughs> Not the exact skill set, but it's, just, it's the same genre of activity. You're preserving something that used to be alive. Yes. Yes. Like a creepy serial killer. Uh, which, in this case, she kind of is. Um, well, she says re- she regrets it. That, which is important. That's what which I was going to say. I was <laughs> yeah. going to say. She says... She, <laughs> I was, no, specifically, the word she uses is that she felt guilty and that she still feels guilty about it if she thinks about it. Uh, that's the the very important phrase that's used here. Um, very important because in the final scene, when she's debriefed in the last scene of the movie, she goes through the same object. She says almost the exact same things, but when she gets to the butterfly, she doesn't say she's guilty about it anymore. That that's essentially her arc of the movie: is she leaves what whatever was left of her empathy and her humanity behind. It's gone mm. by the end of the movie. That's that's the arc of the oh, film. That's the review. I give it a <laughs> yeah. Nice try. <laughs> so but no we see her go to her husband and go to her go to her son and we see the awkward love scene with her husband and uh the 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 hanging around with uh like the friends of her husband and just all of it feeling very disconnected and how she's trying to live in that life but she very quickly she actually phones work she she says to the husband that she like oh the work phoned her and she has to be go fly back out for another Mm -hmm. job um, he clearly does not know what she does, by the way. Like, he has no idea that this is... No, this uh, this scene kind of reminds me of True Lies. <laughs> of all things. <laughs> you don't know that she's a super secret spy assassin. But, you know, it's this thing where, you know, we didn't even mention that uh, Jennifer Jason Lee's character is kind of like the handler. She's the one who kind of debriefs her and uh, is in charge here. Uh, yeah, and she mentioned she used to do what she does now. Like she, Jennifer Jason Lee, when she was younger, used to do this as well. But as she gets older, she finds it more difficult. Yeah, but she does say to her uh, once or twice. She implies that, oh, you're supposed to. Uh, you said you'd left your husband. Like you know, now you're sort of keeping that part of you, and maybe that's the <laughs> problem here. Is you're sort of clinging to something, and it's this thing where you know she goes, she comes back in to take this job and it's explained that so sean bean's this wealthy guy and his daughter has married our our other main character uh whose name is colin and 
basically she's going to possess Colin and Colin is going to kill his his girlfriend slash wife. I wasn't actually sure if they were married or not. No, they weren't married yet. They're, yeah, they were engaged. Uh, um, and going to kill Sean Bean. Oh, surprise, surprise, Sean Bean might die. Uh, <laughs> um, and then himself. And the whole reason for this is because there is a stepson who will inherit everything if if these people all die if the if the not so much colin but if the if the the father and the actual biological daughter both die he gets everything so he's the one who wants all this to happen right. and so so we get all this set up and she she goes in and she has to interact with the girlfriend and she has to like sort of and she and the girlfriend kind of notices that ah, you're acting a little bit weird like there's something a little bit off about you today uh that doesn't feel quite right but I, from there we see him have to go to work and we see his job where we see him look at curtains <laughs> and people's houses and vaginas at least one vagina and cock yes uh <laughs> i mean surprise surprise someone turned on a webcam to record themselves having sex i mean it's not i mean yeah. he's, he's bound to encounter it um he's very distracted by it too yes well he has this, this or she i should say has this freak out moment where it triggers like memories of her of her life and whenever this happens there's this weird thing where she almost hallucinates like a pebble that's kind of floating in front of her yeah uh it's like it's, it's a really surreal moment but really simple it's just visually. like a piece of her has separated and is like um i don't know that's how i interpreted it like a piece of her because she picks it up at one point and like it disappears like it melts back into her skin or something okay, and then yeah. she seems to be okay, okay. but yeah I can see that she also has this thing with her arm like before when she's watching him and she's observing him for like a day or so to get his like mannerisms down and the way he asks questions and talk interacts with his girlfriend and then she gets like this weird pain in her wrist or something and i don't really know what that is and I, I don't know if it comes back other than like the part that separates from her is it usually like she picks it up so that's sort of connected to her wrist i don't know uh, i don't really have an answer for that in particular um from this point in the movie though uh you know th- th- there is kind of the weird sex scene where and it's actually a very interesting thing uh, like set up for this because there's a very it's a very mirroring scene to the scene she had with her husband and son mm-hmm. where the husband had this like couple of friends over and they were having like a dinner party mm-hmm uh here essentially the same thing happens where you know her as colin uh, her name's uh, taja of course uh taja as colin like comes home to his place and the you know she has some friends over who are all sitting around and, and mm-hmm. doing whatever and there's a, there's a very similar line that happens here where it matches the line the husband had earlier in the film where she comes into the bedroom when he's sort of sitting there and he's, he's clearly not been having a good time he's been kind of like just waiting for them to leave and she says, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't expect him to stay that long. That's like the exact line of dialogue that the husband had earlier on. Uh, yeah. Uh, just before that. And then they that's... have the same scene after. Yeah, it's basically, and that leads to the sex scene. Um, here, though, it gets really trippy because we start kind of flashing to the, inter- you know, the, kind of like the visual representation of her inside his body. And mm-hmm. there is a moment where you see her being the one having sex and the camera sort of goes down and we see the erect penis and it's, and it's all meant to feel really surreal and kind of like this merging of the two of them and like who's in control, who who's feeling what. Yeah. It, 
when she first <clears throat> gets into his mind and has his body, like she goes into the bathroom and she, you know, checks out the goods. She she does a full body inspection, including the penis. And then she I mean, I think this is also a bit triggered probably from the voyeur that happened at work. Like maybe that that on top of uh, we don't know if she's ever, you know, been inside a man's body before. This could just be a new exciting thing for her to try. Yeah, I mean, when she checks herself out, though, it didn't come across to me as like, oh, I'm going to see what his dick looks like. It felt more like she's supposed to check the whole body and make sure it's there's nothing wrong, just in general. It felt more like a, you know, less of a curiosity and more of a, oh, I need to actually check the body and make sure it's okay after the transfer. No? I, I guess. I, I don't know. I sort of took it like, well, might as well check it out. <laughs> um I, I i never got that uh from it but she uh yeah so that, so that's it, i mean it wasn't like a sexual thing though it was it was very much like an alien has is like observing the human body sure, yeah yeah <laughs> like the, um, i'm inside it's like an under the skin situation but the sex scene is very trippy and it's very dreamlike's maybe not quite the right word for it but it does feel very cerebral Mm-hmm. in a way that, that feels like it's breaking some sort of new ground. And I, I think this is where it kind of maybe ties in for me where her thirst for for violence and her disconnect of, of things, like this scene here where it's... where this is more tantalizing to her. And I don't think it's necessarily because she's inside the body of the man, necessarily. I don't think that's the part that's exciting to her as, as much. I think it's maybe more. I think it's that, still voyeurism. You know? Yeah, like she's she's observing through someone else's life. I mean, it's that. I think it's also just that it's a stranger. Uh, you know, this is like some encounter. Which okay, to the other person, it's not this weird one-time thing. But to her, it's this. You know, this yeah, this one invasion. Uh, yeah, this <laughs> yeah. this one-time invasion of of privacy. This one-time experience that. Like the other person doesn't know about for a start. Like everything about it is uh is voyeuristic. Yeah, I think it's I mean, I think it's also like when we see her come home and she's outside of her home, like as herself, she has to like practice lines of what of, of what it's like to interact with her family. Like yeah, she's yeah. like rehearsing what she's gonna say when she sees her husband, when she sees her Which... son over and over again. And it, it, there's very there's no emotion to it. It's just like I have to practice my interaction because it's like a it's like a line read, like an actor would. Yeah, but it's, like it's also are, this is my scenes. I'm going to be somebody else, and this is what I have to do now. Like her life is just even her regular life is just acting. Yeah, but uh, the point I was going to make there is that it's, it's it's exactly what she's doing when she's practicing lines for him, when she's yeah. practicing lines for Colin. She's doing the same thing she does for her, you know, her characters, if you want to call them that, her mm-hmm. marks, her victims, her her targets. She's doing the same thing for her own life. That she's actually rehearsing her own lines for herself, the same I way think, she does for them. Yeah, I think it's just uh, there's a like an identity loss that now she has to like practice everything. So well, yeah, that that's one of the big things that the movie is is kind of getting at here. Where like I, I don't want to say this is necessarily the, the sole thing here because I do think there's a, a definite the, the, like her her violence is so extreme. That it does kind of feel like we're in the mind of someone who is very dark and twisted and we're looking at that from that perspective but i do think there's something to be said here to look at this from the 
the uh not satire but the the commentary route kind of, kind of in the same way like when you look at something like robocop and we talk about how someone's humanity is taken by the company and how mm. becoming their tool is taking away who she is and she's she's just losing and she's already kind of a lot of the way there the fact that she's rehearsing lines for her family at the start of the movie says that she's already pretty far gone she's just not quite crossed that line of having no empathy whatsoever um which is obviously where she gets to by the end of the film uh, yeah i also think it's a little bit of a, a stepford wife situation where there's like she has to put the role of wife and mother on you know like it's not just she has to pretend to be this because it's not really who she is but she has to practice it all the time that was that did not go where i thought you were going to go with it i thought you were going to say that the company is essentially programming her into be something like a stepford wife not that like her i don't think no clearly the company does not Uh, want her to have a home life at all no that's not what i mean (laughs) that's not what i mean i'm not saying they're programming her to be a stepford wife and that she's acting like a stepford wife more that her being this emotionless killer is their version of a stepford wife that she's programmed to do what they need her to do not the specifics of what she's doing Mm-hmm. Um, because, because I feel. No, like... I mean, I think a lot of the themes of the Stepford Wives was the when you become a mother or a wife, that's that becomes your identity now. So you have a loss of who you are because you have to play these roles. And so much of that movie was about like, um, Catherine Ross trying to hold on to who she used to be, but now instead she has to play this this robotic part. Yeah, but I think this. <sighs> I'm I'm not sure if I get what you're saying here in t- context of this movie though, because the 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 family life is is definitely represented here as the good healthy thing as opposed to what everything else is going on. So, the programming, the thing that's turning her into something she doesn't want to be. Well, she does kind of want to be. It's just kind of weird in that sense. Um, I, I don't think like I think the the reading this film that it's showing her break away from the the archetype of the you know the the, the loving wife that she clearly doesn't want to be. Well, I think there's there's potential in that story. I, I don't know if it necessarily fits in this when what she's like. D- do you think that the movie's trying to say that oh, forcing someone into a role like this is leads to an extreme where they they they, they sort of ricochet no, so hard I th- into? I, think it's, I don't think the movie's this. trying to say that. I'm I'm saying <laughs> that a lot of people wake up in their lives, daily lives, and feel like somebody else was them for a while and how did they get here there's like a existential crisis that happens and sometimes that can happen down like a i don't know if you're stuck in a career path you didn't plan to be on and but you're you're trapped here like or um if you're stuck in a domestic life that you didn't really plan on or or you thought would go a different way i think i think that theme is in the movie like, how much of this is her because she's a psychopath, and how much of this is because Jennifer Jason Lee has been whittling away at her and chipping away mm-hmm. her humanity to the point where she's here, and she's at... Because Jennifer Jason Lee at the end of the movie, is proud. Like, she's created yeah. a new version of herself. She's like, yes, like, I've finally made you into the cold killer that I wanted you to be with no empathy. That's very much the, the point of the, the journey. Sure. Yeah, I mean, you don't think that there's a chance that you know, because she's able to lose memory or um, like they have to do this test, this cognitive test every time that maybe they can make her forget that she even had a kid. Um, that that wouldn't be possible. 
Well, no, because I think... Because the, the ending, the whole point of the ending to me is that... Well, actually, I don't know about the kid. But the, the whole point of the ending is... Okay, we're skipping ahead. We have to get there. Because it's impossible to talk about without setting up the context for what the ending is. Um, so we'll come back to this. Let's table this. Okay. And come back to it. <laughs> down the line. So, they go to a party where Sean Bean's there, and he's a complete prick to him. Um, and that said, though, I don't necessarily blame him, because his daughter... No, I don't think so either. His, his daughter's engaged to someone who she met because he sells cocaine. I mean, it's not, <laughs> it's not... As a father, I get why he's not particularly proud or excited by the prospect of this being his son-in-law. Uh, <laughs> but... Uh, He's told to make a scene, public scene, or she's, sorry, she's told to, it's really confusing because we're dealing with her in his body. Um, and he does, he, he gets drunk, he makes a scene, he comes back in, and again, he's got a gun. He has the option of using the gun on Sean Bean, but he does not. Mm-mm. Or she does not, sorry. She grabs a fire poker and whacks him with it again much like the stabbings earlier repeatedly like multiple multiple mm-hmm. multiple times before finally stabbing him in the mouth and then basically plucking out his eye with it which was a particularly mm-hmm. gory moment which i did not see coming no neither <laughs> did i it was very gross okay. and there's some loss of teeth that was hard to watch that, yeah that's when he stabbed in the mouth yeah it, it just you just see some of the teeth just kind of well, stabbed in she stabs him in the mouth and then she like turns and twists yes. it around for a while like this is a long stab mouth stabbing it's, scene it's very brutal um <laughs> the 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 uh the the fiance she comes back in the room sees what's happening screams and this is the only time she uses the gun because she's like oh I, I can't get to her in time so she just grabs the gun and shoots at her a couple of times yeah um and again says you know get me out of here puts the gun in their mouth but then something happens and this is kind of the interesting part of the movie for me where i've enjoyed everything up until this point but this is the part of the movie where his psyche starts fighting back and it's kind of like okay he may actually be in more control now and is kind of on the run because he he's trying he doesn't realize what's just happened he's like what what mm-hmm. you know what's just you know what's going on um and there is a line from like the technicians talking to jeff just lee saying oh like he's in more control than she is now there was still a couple of lines from him though that made me think that she was still having some control um yeah. but he, he she goes to or he goes to the fiance's friend who he was having an affair with although the fiance kind of knew about their casual relationship and was okay with it or something it was a bit vague um but he says hey can i stay here girlfriend kick me out uh see how long that lasts when it breaks in the mm-hmm. news that she's been killed brutally well she's on her way to chicago yes um Yes. Well, she doesn't make it to shower, though, because he ends up killing her in the shower. Uh, or she ends up yeah. killing him. When, when she gets control again, when... when, when uh, th- th- uh, what was her face? Uh, Taja. I, I, I keep wanting to say Mandy, because she was Mandy and Mandy, goddammit. Uh, <laughs> but when Taja gets control again, she kills her in the shower. But there's a lot of really interesting stuff in this part of the movie um, mm-hmm. where we keep seeing stuff inside the visualization of what's in their head. And like they're sort of fighting and like sort of like ripping away from each other and like trying to like gain control of the body and do certain things. And probably the creepiest visual of the whole movie is when he kind of crushes her face and then picks up her face as if it's a rubber mask and then puts it on his his head. And we get the sense that he's seeing like flashes of her home, of her husband, of her son, mm-hmm. and goes to that location. This is where the ending 
plays out. It's at this place. I've I've skipped over the other little bit where uh, there's like a guy who shows up to try and like recalibrate her head because there's yeah. obviously something going wrong. It it is a really good scene too because he does like this pulse thing and each mm. time it pulses, it switches from the visual of him on the bed to her, and then he's creeping in through the door and stuff and starts choking her, and that's when he like it does the mask. Yeah, does the mask part. But it is a really good visual. I really enjoyed that part. Yeah, yeah, really super, uh, you know, orchestrated. You know, just the door. Because I, I think the first time it flashes and you notice someone coming from the doorframe, I didn't even realize mm-hmm. it was him because it was so quick. I was like, oh, who is that? It was someone in the background of that last flash. And then yeah. it flashed again. I was like, oh, it's him. And he's coming towards it. Uh, and I love that it never explains outright that they're fighting for control. It's just something you start to, maybe it tells you eventually, but. There's a long time where you just kind of start to get it. You just get mm-hmm. that that's what's happening, is that he's kind of fighting back for control. Uh, and you're kind of rooting for him, because as much as he doesn't seem like the best guy in the world, he didn't, he didn't murder... He doesn't deserve to die. Yeah, he didn't, he didn't <laughs> murder multiple people brutally yeah. and deserves to go to prison for it or be killed for it. So um, you're, you're kind of rooting for him to gain some control, even though ultimately his plan is to go to her family's house and like threaten the husband, who seemed like a nice enough guy. Uh, mm-hmm. Although I will say this, the husband... The actor's voice, I, I, I struggle to understand some of his lines occasionally. The way he said his lines, his voice was just a bit muffled to me. I don't know, did you find that? He was um, the son of Donald Sutherland, but I don't I don't know. He might be a milkman baby. He doesn't look anything <laughs> like Donald Sutherland. But Sutherland does mumble in some of his movies. Maybe Mash is not father. an easy movie to understand. Hey, to hear from his father. Well, you know, that's the, you got it from him. Um... <laughs> And we have to, and I love this part of the end here because we have this moment where Colin is holding a gun to the husband's head, to Michael's head, and mm-hmm. he's yelling, you know, tell me what you did, tell me what's going on. He's screaming this to, to Taj mm-hmm. to, to, to tell him. And we kind of get this visual where she kind of appears standing next to him and they almost start having a conversation, which is obviously just representative of what's happening in their head. Right. And she basically says, if you're going to shoot him, just, I don't really care. And she says that I loved him, or at yeah. least to, but I don't know. I don't know if it was really me that loved him. Well, she says that uh, she was just holding him back anyway. That was the exact line that stuck out because that tied into everything else that was going on in the movie. But the visual we get here is that they're kind of both holding the gun at the same time and they're kind of merging to the point where you don't really know which one's actually about to pull the trigger if one does. However, the trigger's not pulled. Instead, he is stabbed repeatedly and the way that he is violently stabbed actually tells with us a meat cleaver yeah with a meat cleaver it tells us pretty unanimously that it's her that it's not him mm-hmm. it's not colin who's doing it's this. the same type of stabbing from yeah. the original or from the opening of the film yeah C- colin would have just shot him if he was going to kill him but no yeah she, she it's this brutal stab but i loved it it's still the visual of him doing it because it's his body mm-hmm. but you just know you know from how he's doing it this is her she did this so yeah that's really well set up uh, and this is this is the point I was going to get to earlier when we were debating uh, about stuff. Uh, this, the, I mean, the, the kid's a bit murkier, I suppose, because the the kid kills her, and then it turns out Jennifer Jason Lee's in the kid because the kid's like, you know, now release me. Um, but I mean, this movie's oh, yeah. this movie's super dark though because like as she's going down after being stabbed in the neck by the kid, like she shows the kid. We see we see that this like we see t- that it's her. Yeah, yeah it's this, her decision. This 10-year-old, I mean, not even just that, even just the visual of a 10-year-old with a bullet hole with blood pouring out of it is actually really dark. Like, you don't usually see that in movies. Yeah, and it's, it's not just that. Like, she shoots him once in the belly and waits. And then we see a visual of her, like, screaming and shooting again through the head. 
Yeah. Get a shipment there. That's the only way to keep him down. Well, apparently not, because he uh, still says, pull me out after he's been shot in the head. Yeah, I assume that's something like murky with a tech. Like, there's yeah. a little bit of extra lingering because yeah, well, of that's the, the thing, too. I was wondering how that worked, because she, at the end of each job, is supposed to shoot herself. But she says, pull me out before she does it. Yeah. So does she not want to feel the pain of the gunshot, or does she... Is 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 it just a loss of control? I think it's more the latter. Um, yeah, because uh, it seems like even if they don't get pulled out, they're still fine. They'll still like, go into their, their body, which to me right. says that it's it's maybe less of a pull me out first and more of a get ready to pull me out because I'm about to, like you know, I'm coming. Like you know, right. <laughs> like brace yourselves, I'm coming in hot. Uh, but yeah, so so because so because that because she makes the decision to kill her husband, and that's kind of her like giving away her empathy, and then her making the decision to shoot her own son. That's where I, I don't really get the whole making her forget she has a kid thing. Because mm-hmm. to me, the movie's about her making the choice to actually end that part of her life herself. That's the that's what makes it so dark, is she makes the choice to not just like separate herself from it, but to wipe it from existence by killing them. Um, yeah, it just seems like it was all planned out by Jennifer Jason Leigh's character in order to a keep bit. on to her, hold, hold on to her perfect assassin. I, and if she's not able to lose the empathy and just do it herself, then... Maybe she's able to do that, mess around with the memories. The whole thing's planned because there's, there's, it's one of those things where there's too many. Oh, things. I don't think you could. Yeah, yeah. there's too I, many things that have to like just like go her way that like are left to chance that it wouldn't make sense. But I, I, yeah, but towards the end when she saw how it was going, yeah, I think she was happy with the outcome. I think she was happy to use the kid as the as the you know the, the potential victim and let it all play out. Right. Uh, yeah. So. But yes. I mean that's a risk, right? Like, because if you take over the kid, I mean, if she's not, maybe she'll lose empathy for her husband that she's already separated from. Sure, but the kid, like, that's a tough thing to ask of a mother. So, <laughs> by putting her in a like situation where she's forced to murder her son, like, you run the risk of her um, rebelling against the company or against, you know, the act of it. So, <laughs> I don't know. It seems risky. Yeah, but I mean that's the thing. She she plays that 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 gamble, and it's the fact that it turns out the way she wants is what makes the ending so dark. Is because no, mm-hmm. she she has actually rejected that part of her life. She's rejected her child. She's rejected her husband. And again, I say rejected, not even just rejected, brutally murdered both of them, uh, and her act of leaving them behind. Hence the the whole idea of not feeling guilt, and you know, Jennifer Jason Lee going great <laughs> like that's her response like oh great yeah well successful mission you know mm-hmm. wrap wrap that one up um and it makes sense that she's happy with it because like because because this mission kind of was barked the fact that the, the subject started fighting back and they had to go in this little chase to like try and bring him back in and it led to the house of her family you would think this would be like oh we have to do a lot of like you know reports on this and like you know question it and assess her suitability for future projects but Jennifer Jason Lee seems very happy with how all this ended. Uh, so, you know, I... Everything's yeah. going exactly as planned. So there's a little insert I'm recording after the fact. I'm, I'm just, you know, getting the episode ready for edit, and I'm really annoyed I never said this, you know, hearing this part of the review. So I'm just inserting this here now so I sound really smart and no one can accuse me of not thinking of this. Uh, but the movie is really about Jennifer Jason Lee's character possessing 
Riseboro's character, possessing the main character. That's that's the real possession that's going on in the movie. And I'm so annoyed that I never said that when I was talking to Tara about it. But I'm putting it in here because I really wanted that thought. I mean, we talked about her essentially making turning her into herself. We made that point, but I really wanted to say that line because that's what the movie is. Thank you. Back to your regularly scheduled podcast. So I, I think... I think that the two key themes I'm, I'm seeing in this movie are one, like an absolute psychopath <laughs> in her just mm-hmm. going down that path. And it's just this dark tragedy of her becoming like the worst and losing herself and, and all that. But then I think alternatively, you have the, the, the corporate like dehumanization of someone of like, t- you know, taking someone, making them the company person and just taking away their humanity little by little. And we, mm-hmm. we jump in towards the end of that story where she's already like so far gone. Where she's already at the point where she's ready to leave her yeah. husband and stuff. I mean, like that. we sort of see it in, a, a bit in Sean Bean's company too, and with yeah. all the people that work there and what they have to say about it. You're right. We don't know what he does, but we know what he does is very invasive, and <laughs> you know, it's um, at least at the bottom of the company, the job is uh, quite gross. Like, um, you know, taking I, advantage of webcams in order to spy on people and. And and maybe like the fact that she is so vicious is it, maybe even that ties into the the, the sort of maybe the anti corporate sort mm-hmm. of ideas the movie has in the sense that like this corporate life she's in even though she's technically killing people I wonder because I'm thinking maybe more of Sean Bean's company here but everyone looks so bored and like depressed and this is just like an endless cycle of like stuff they hate doing. That you know, maybe the idea is oh that would drive you like you know homicidal <laughs> and like <laughs> like the idea that Andrea Riseborough's character uh, at charge like maybe she like because because we we I mean that's I don't think this was her first job at the start of the movie so what was she like before us was this just the first time she snapped and did something extra or was this because when Jennifer Jason Lee's talking to her about like her like training her it mm-hmm. sounds like it. This took some time to get to this point. It took like it sounded like there was all the jobs. Yeah, like, I don't think she's a newbie. I yeah. think she's very much uh, like and people talk about her as having some sort of prestige in the company. Like the one guy that shows up says, "I really like the way you took care of that one guy." Like you're a legend. It's an honor uh, to meet you. One of the examples of like fiction I always bring up. I always bring up Buffy, but one of the things I always say is that uh, you know kids feel like high school is hell, so that show makes it literal. And I think. Uh, you know, fiction always takes something and makes it the stream. So if you take the message of, you know, don't lose your humanity to become a, like a, like, you know, a corporate stooge, you know, your humanity is actually more important. Your family is more important. This is the extreme of that where not only does she reject her family, she outright murders them and that they're gone and in the most vicious way possible. It's, the, mm-hmm. it's taking that and turning it up to such an extreme degree. Uh, but that's what movies do. Uh, mm-hmm. Sometimes more than others. In this case, it's, you know, the ap- utmost extreme. Uh, you can't get any more extreme of this in terms of the the context of the message that it's doing and saying. It lives up to the name of Cronenberg. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, I think, I mean, we're actually ignoring maybe the, 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 the title of the movie here and the idea of possession and the idea of like living through others. And I mean, even the job that uh, Colin's doing at Sean Bean's company is kind of like an invasive of it's, it's not quite possessing someone, but even the idea of getting into their, their their webcam recordings or live feeds, whatever one it is, mm-hmm. uh, is in a way you know it's almost like the the I mean it's weird to call it the kiddie version given some of the things that he sees, but it's almost the kiddie version of what she's doing, where she's getting into people's bodies and like invading yeah. them that way. I mean, I, th- I think it's also just a uh, 
like a a descriptive way of saying when there is something like a crime of of passion or when you or when someone is pushed to their limit they can transform into somebody else completely completely out of character like the the people that they are taking the bodies over like one of the reasons she says she stabs them so many times is because like that would be more realistic if somebody breaks mm-hmm. and, and because of they've been pushed so far they would they would just you know cleanly shoot somebody they would act irrational and stab him multiple times so it could just be like another way of saying like uh you it it does feel like somebody temporarily takes over who you are when you are um i don't know pushed to the extremes of any emotion yeah so someone says yeah it's just like you know it's like i became another person for a minute there like it's Mm -hmm. almost again doing that and taking it literally (laughs) like it's literally someone Mm -hmm. else's because they're doing it um yeah uh, but i also question like how much of that is like her being honest about like what she thinks it does what would happen and how much of that is just an excuse for her to because it's her instinct it's, it's not that the, that's the person she's portraying like she's saying oh it'd be there and if they were pushed to this point it'd be their instinct to to do this violent stabbing but yeah, how, I, I think the movie makes you like have that question yeah, in the back of your mind but how much also. is it just her that's her instinct <laughs> and then to in the end scene with her husband we're like okay so that was probably what she wanted to do more than yes what the right thing to do was yeah and, and maybe it's also maybe a, a, a statement on how corporations or how and maybe this is it's a bit of a stretch but if you look at law enforcement how law enforcement can bring out the worst in someone who has really like bad tendencies like someone who is kind mm-hmm. of a bully who's someone who thinks they're like better than everyone else someone who will abuse things and be corrupted like if they already have that personality how the law enforcement structure will essentially give them the power to like become even worse a worse version of themselves um like i, I just wonder like if it's you know, maybe a little bit of that in here where like these little tendencies she has if she's always had them a little bit like how much is this job letting her almost like flourish and discover new depths to like you know, lo- the, you know the idea that she she, you know, she killed this butterfly as a kid and that's maybe all it was ever going to be is she killed a bug you know a butterfly it's not a bug but you know what i mean like when she was a kid and that's that's effectively all it ever was they, you mm-hmm. know kids do stupid things it's fine but with this letter go down this path and it's like hey this was encouraged yeah. by an establishment this was encouraged by a system that shouldn't let this happen now admittedly i realize that this is a shady criminal uh you know assassination company but and interesting still. that we only see women in this job because uh, we know Jennifer Jason Lee used to do this as well. That's true, yeah. Uh, uh, which is partly why I was making the connection to, you know, not being yourself when you become a mother or a wife. Like that takes away your identity and you have a bit of a crisis there. Was I mean, I thought that was maybe one of the points by casting women for these roles. No, I think there's definitely something to explore there. The reason why I'm confused by you saying that, though, is that them taking well, away because you're i understand your you know interpretation of the end is that she has to let go of the thing that's holding on to her humanity which is being a wife and mother and yeah. i'm saying it like the opposite like she wants to let go of <laughs> she like she does this um in spite of being a mother i don't know maybe i need to work this out a bit more and come <laughs> back to it but 
Yeah, no, I don't disagree. She does. She does want to let it go. She clearly isn't happy. Um, mm-hmm. but I, I think the reason why I'm 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 not quite getting the 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 other part of this is that the, the part that's sort of removing her humanity, the part that's turning her into something that's just a function, that's just a, a tool for what she's supposed to do, is the company. Which is why it's, I I don't know if I get the impression that her and Jeff or Jason Lee and any any woman who takes this job is doing this because she's rebelling against the the traditional you know matriarchal uh you know lifestyle the, the role that uh, maybe that, maybe I mean, that, maybe maybe she's I, so good at the job because she's been acting her whole life like maybe, just pretending to be something no you might be right maybe i'm missing this maybe this is a perspective that i just can't see because because well obviously i'm not <laughs> i'm not a mother i'm not a wife <laughs> amongst other things like that, that I, not that you're a mother or a wife either but still like you know it you you maybe this is just a perspective i, I just I, I don't know if it's in the movie enough but is it but in terms of like trying to dig deeper and saying okay so why is this only women who are doing this role i mean we only have two examples uh there are there are definitely other there's definitely men who work there in other roles there's some of the scientists who are like cooking things up for men there's the, the doctor guy who talks to her uh before she goes under but yeah, yeah. The, the only people who we see actually the operatives who are going into the bodies are women. Um, I, I mean, is that like, maybe only women can do it. Maybe there's some reason like why it has to be a woman who does it versus a, like a man for some reason. I never say that. I'm just speculating. Yeah. I, it's just, you know, you think of people who grow up to be serial killers. They don't tend to be women. So it it's not a an obvious cast to me. Yeah. Is it kind of like a weird awakening of like, you know, so since most serial killers are men, uh, and most you know violent—not that women can't be violent, because of course they can be—but t- of course, the, the vast majority of serial killers and like violent crimes tend to be men. And is it almost this weird, dark wish fulfillment of like, you know, like at least these two, like they want to do this too, and this was kind of like their almost their path of realization of getting there. I, I don't know, that's a bit of a reach, maybe, but. Uh, I don't know, but I I don't do think it is worth mentioning. Yeah, that the only two people we know that have ever done this are both women, and that's an interesting choice, mm-hmm. uh, specifically in the in the movie. Um, I I do think it's about the loss of empathy uh, first and foremost, more than anything else. And I think the causing of that, uh, I, I think she is just kind of psychotic, to be honest. But admittedly, we can speculate about as to why maybe she got that far in the first place. And I think there's definitely an anti corporate kind of feel. There's definitely yeah, definitely uh, uh, a surveillance and a uh, you know a voyeuristic mm-hmm. kind of like theme to the movie that is is there, and not just with her character. Like we say, everything Sean Bean's doing at his company is all mm-hmm. kind of in that theme as well. Yeah, even though it's a different you know obviously tier of what they're doing in terms of extremity, but um, no, I mean the fact that this guy is talking this much about what the movie's about and you know what it's saying about her. Humanity well, there's a lot of open questions that are left in this film. So I think, you know, it, there are th- some things that are open to interpretation. Because they don't give us all the answers we need. But just enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um... I think it's really well written. And I think I thought it was really well directed, too. It had a really great style. And um, I, I know he did one other movie that people talk about, but... Um, I look forward to anything else that he's done or will do. Yeah, I'll have to go back and check out what that other movie was. I don't know if it was sci-fi or not, but uh, it may have been. I think so. Oh, well, in that case, it's something we may, uh, we may get to. If I, I'll have a quick look. Antiviral. Oh, it sounds sci-fi, doesn't it? <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Antiviral sounds sci-fi. Yep, mystery sci-fi, bit of horror. Okay, yep, sounds like it's... Here, here's the description of this other film we did. This is Antiviral from 2012. Yeah, that's a big gap between films, actually. Yeah, I was uh, thinking that too. In a blackly satirical near future, uh, near future, we're already doing the right thing, a thriving industry sells celebrity illness to their obsessed fans. Employee Sid March's attempt to exploit the system backfire when they involve him in a potentially deadly mystery. So, is it saving? Is it saving the celebrity? Like, are the celebrity like giving their cancer to a fan so that the celebrity may live? Is that like what's happening here? Maybe that seems. This feels like a Black Mirror episode. It's not a Black Mirror episode. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this movie kind of does too. That's true. I mean, you could probably boil any sort of like cerebral sci-fi down to that. I suppose if you want to. Yeah, they, uh, they sort of have the market cornered there. As long, as long as it involves technology in some way, and I think this kind of does, and obviously this movie <laughs> does. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in these explorations. It, this is definitely, it's definitely an art house movie, though. I think we made it that clear. This is not a, a fast-paced, whiz-bang movie, by any no. means. This is a, a very methodical, tense, and at times brutally violent and sexually mm-hmm. explicit film. Yes. yes. <laughs> you have been warned. It earns its um, unrated version. <laughs> yes. And, and honestly, to, to back up your point, honestly, um, I think the, the one thing that probably does really back up what you were saying about part of why she does what she does is being this repressed, you know, I don't know if she was a housewife per se, but this re- repressed mother and, and wife is, is maybe the sex stuff. Is like the idea that she, she is so detached during mm-hmm. her time with her husband but then everything else, just, you know, she's just like she's like free in this wild way that's like unnatural, even because it is this. Like, it's almost like a soldier that's... having PTSD because when during that sex scene, we do see flashes of yeah. her killing the guy that she just did, right, stabbing him in the neck. Which... She sees her husband with the neck wound, and then she sort of like gets back into it, Which... like, or at least pretends to be into it. And in, in the scene, at least, I, I I definitely took that as like her sexual thirst was more for the violence, and that's why she was getting into it, is because she was thinking about what she was actually excited about. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I I sort of linked it to like a soldier with PTSD who just feels more at home at war. It's definitely one that gets you thinking. It's definitely one that sticks with you because it's pretty brutal, and it's not it's not even just that it's brutal. It's very cerebral in its its ideas. It's very cerebral in how it presents its ideas. So mm-hmm. it's hard not to leave like a, a an impact on you. So, I guess we're at the point where we're going to rate uh, the movie. Uh, so, I, I like to go on with the theme of the movie. I think we'll have to possess each other and give each other scores. So, mm-hmm. I am going to be Tara here and give, give Tara's score. Tara is going to give this movie... Eight out of ten. Oh, so close. No? What are we giving it? I'm going to give it a 7.5. <gasps> and because normally you go a step below me, but mm-hmm. it's art house. So I think <laughs> you go a step above me and give it a straight up 8. Art, you got to go with the art house curve. There's an art house mm-hmm. curve to, to my rating system. Um, well, it depends because if I end up not been into like a high life, it goes the other way. I just like yeah. really middling. But uh <laughs> Not I hated that movie by any means, but anyway. Um, I don't know, I, I'm conflicted a little bit, actually, because I just think it's really well-directed. I think the ideas are really cerebral, and it's presented in a way that I think is very confident. I, I, I would describe mm-hmm. this film as very confident. 
Um, one, one of the things that I was worried about getting into this is, you know, I was worried about, you know, not that I've seen a lot of stuff, but it's kind of like when Will Smith tried to, like, sort of, like, push Jaden Smith in, in her faces and we're like, oh, he's not, he's not got it. I'm sorry, Will, but he's just, he's not got it. Um, I was worried that I was going to watch this. I hate oh, the Karate Kid. <laughs> I was worried that I was going to watch this and be like, it was okay, but it just it feels like a lesser version. And I'll get, you know, I'm going to give Brandon credit because I feel like, I, I didn't feel at the, by the end of this I was judging this as, oh, this is the, the David Cronenberg kid. I felt like I was judging it on its own weird art house qualities. Mm-hmm. Even if there is some, you know, things you can draw between them if you want to. So... I think this will get better the more I watch it. And I think I am going to give it the 8. I hate, to, I hate to give you the success and have you be right, but I guess Tara's, curve. Tara's possession of me worked, apparently. Well, women are better at this. Oh, there you go. See? <laughs> You've solved it. Yeah. Easy peasy. Is it, is it just that we're easy to predict and we're just boring? Um, either that or you're just easy to influence. You will pick 8. Yeah, that sounds fair. <laughs> Let's be honest, we'll do whatever women tell us to do most of the time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if you made it this far in the review, um, put the word. Oh, God. I'm not picking anything bad. I'm not picking anything bad. It'd be very easy to in this one. Um, put the word voyeur in the comments if you made it this far into the review. Um, Tara's going to do her pose for the thumbnail. So, unfortunately, there's no uh, rubber mask of me that she can put over her face <laughs> for full effect. Just put gas over my face. <laughs> uh, but here we go. Three, two, one, pause. I don't know what to do. That'll do. <laughs> that'll do, Pig. That'll do. Uh, oh, that's a great movie. We should watch that. <laughs> I'm glad you got the reference and didn't just get insulted that I referred to you as a pig because that was not the point of the reference. I love Babe. It's an honor to be to be James Cromwell into Babe. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen the movie, of course? Let us know what you thought of it in the comments. Uh, we always like to hear. Like and subscribe, as we said earlier, as well as patreon.com slash TV. Also very important. We'll tell you what's coming next time. Um, if I remember correctly, it is the last Patreon vote winner which will be Tremors, uh, the Kevin Bacon extravaganza, Monsters in the Sand. Good job, patrons. Voted for the right movie, yeah. I think. Uh, we took a little bit long to get to this one because we kind of forgot to slot it in for November. This is actually what may have been done November, but that's fine. It's, uh, no biggie. <laughs> it's coming next week. Uh, and then whatever won the November vote will be coming like a week or two after that. But uh, So look forward to that next week. Um us was coming. Uh, Tara, would you like to recommend anything else from Melfus TV? Well, um, if you enjoy weird stories, um, please check out our review of the classic Twilight Zone episodes. We're currently in season three. It's been a blast going through those again. And um, yeah, please, please go, please go check that out. Thank you. Wonderful. Smooth. <laughs> yeah, very, very, very smooth, yes. There's just no need to transition out of that, to be honest. <laughs> I'm just going to have to awkwardly say, thank you, guys. Thank you very much once again for watching and listening. We always appreciate it. 
Keep watching science fiction and computer at Salsa. Pull me out.